What's up everyone? Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, thank you for joining. I am your host, Ethan Bridge. Before I dive into the intro, I'd greatly appreciate if you pulled out your phone, opened up the podcast app and left a five star rating and review. It literally takes a matter of seconds and you don't even have to stop listening. On today's episode of the podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking to Will Pemble. I don't even know where to start when introducing this man and you'll understand why when you learn a little more about what he does. Between the years of 1999 and 2006, he built and sold one of the world's biggest website hosting platforms called web.com. From this, he extracted key operations and through the lessons learned, he now runs his own management consulting firm called Goalboss. Goalboss specializes in transforming managers into leaders and groups into teams by providing the tools, strategies, and techniques to build enduring successes with their coaches and clients. However, this is where things get interesting, and this is where you may have heard about Will before. He is the man who has built a roller coaster in his back garden. It's literally something straight out of a movie. His creation has been viewed millions of times, Wired documented the creation and their video on YouTube now has over 3.8 million views. Will also has his own channel where you get to see the full journey of the coaster's creation. These videos have been viewed by over 7 million people and he has even been featured on Netflix, Good Morning America, NBC and CBS. I can assure you that you will love listening to what Will has to say. And despite his wacky creations, he is extremely knowledgeable when it comes to business and he is able to provide a ton of value. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of talking to Will Pemble. Will, how are you doing today? I'm good, Ethan. It's good to have you, man. It's good to be here. Thanks. Thanks very much. I'm like, I'm stoked, even with the crazy time difference we got going here. I know it's pitch black here and it's bright sunshine where you are, but the pleasure is all mine and I can't appreciate it enough that you've agreed to come on the show with me. So for the listeners that don't know who you are, if you don't mind giving us a quick 60 second introduction of who you are and what you do, please. Okay, sure. Okay. So I'll give you the, uh, I'll, I'll give you like, if I was, if I was speaking at an event or doing a keynote or something, I'll just like give you the 60 second deal. And so the 60 second, the 60 second, like pre-recorded vibe goes something like this. My name is Will Pemble. I built and sold web.com, which started in my Connecticut basement and grew to be the 16th biggest web hosting company on earth. I sold that company back in 2007, I believe. Um, and at the time it was one of the highest multipliers that anybody had gotten in the last five years for an internet company. Uh, we were profitable from about month three, uh, and we, and we won pretty consistently in the web hosting space when most of the other players weren't winning. Uh, the way we did that, because we didn't have the kind of money that the GoDaddies of the world had, the way we did that was by focusing on three things in particular. We focused on well, ourselves, we focused on getting better at what we do, and we focused on ourselves in three areas, communication, delegation, and time management. So if you don't have a lot of money to solve your problems, then really all you're left with is you. And so what we did was we found a way at web.com as a team to not have to have the same conversations twice, to not do things that weren't the highest and best use 
of our time and speaking of time to not waste a single minute that we were in the office. And we just made more money than we spent all day, every day. Um, when I sold web.com, we took that leadership system, which is now called Goal Boss, we took that leadership system with us because the company that bought us didn't want it because they had a lot of money instead, I guess. Um, and we turned that into what I do today, which is Goal Boss Research. And we are an executive coaching and leadership firm. We coach individual CEOs, we coach executive teams, we do training events and all sorts of, all sorts of stuff, all with the focus of helping people stop wasting time start making money, and stay the course. And that starts every time. It starts with communication, delegation, and time management. There we go. Awesome introduction. And I can't wait to dive further into that because you've obviously been extremely successful in your ways, built up that web development company, and then went on to sell it, and then essentially take everything you learned to start a new company. Can't wait to dive into it, basically. But the way I do like to start all my episodes is to throw it back with my guests and ask them about their childhoods. So let's focus on a 15-year-old, Will, and go into your time at school. Were you the class clown or were you the kid that sit at the back, aced every single exam and came out with the top grades? I, get, I, was, I was probably somewhere in between those things. I've, I've always been silly, right? You don't have to. You don't have to Google too far to figure out that I'm like a a little bit of a knucklehead. Um, at at 15 years old, what was I, like a junior or a senior in high school would be? Um, I didn't take school super seriously, I think it's probably safe to say. I was, uh, I, I joke around that I graduated high school because, uh, or, or I joke around that I graduated middle school because when you graduate middle school, you, you go to another building. And so they graduated me because that I would be in another uh, building. And so I was, I was, had some rough edges when I was really, really young, when I was sort of like pre 15, like 13 to 15. I didn't, you know, uh, if you were to look up like graceful puberty, you would not find uh, any references to me <laughs> in that section. Um, so I didn't take my grades very seriously, but I did take my teachers very seriously. I did have a lot of good conversations and I do remember Mr. Crawford and Mr. Bardari and these are guys from like, you know, what my kids call the 1900s, right? I mean, these guys were very, very old when I was, when I was 15 and, and a lot of them are gone now. But I had great conversations with bright, motivated people. I really didn't take the performance side of things very seriously. I hung around with all the smartest kids in the school. I hung around with the kids who were just acing tests and sitting in the back of the room. And, and, and so it was, a, it was a really, I was a weirdo kind of from, from, the, from the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, and, and like right around 15, so that was like the last two or three years of high school. From 15 to uh, the last two or three years of high school, I, I started spending a lot more time with people a lot older than me, successful people, uh, you know, grownups, if you will, who were um, who were really service oriented in the community? Who were really good at business and um, and and I learned a lot of leadership in those days, uh, without really without knowing it. Um, and so I had a, a weird childhood. You couldn't like reverse engineer this and make this the plan for somebody. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But um, but uh, but yeah. So so the me I am today definitely started right around. 15. So that's, a, that's an awesome question. I've never been asked that question before. That's a really great question. 
Thank you very much. And that's why I like to start off the episodes with that, because it gives the listeners a basis of who you are and what you are now, basically. Sure. So from school then, I know we spoke about this before the episode, but it did make me laugh and I'd like you to tell the listeners again. So you, despite your LinkedIn page, we can see that you've been founder of this, founder of that, co-founder. You did have a corporate job at some point out of school, but what happened to that? How did you realize that the corporate world just wasn't your place? Okay, cool. The, you know, again, it's a, uh, that story doesn't come up very much. Uh, I love your, I love your perspective. So, so even though I spend a lot of my time, I spend most of my time professionally, I spend it in these, you know, big buildings full of fancy companies and serious executives and, and, uh, and they rely on me to make, uh, to make a serious difference, uh, uh, an impact in their organizations. And again, what rarely comes up is that once upon a time, my very first job after college, I worked for a company called IBM and, and, and I actually worked in the PC division at the very beginning of the personal computer, like the IBM XT. If you read, uh, if you've ever seen the, uh, I think it's a Netflix show, I'm not sure, but Halt and Catch Fire is a, is a show that talks about the beginning of those days and they talk about XTs and that was the personal computer. So I worked in the division that, um, that did that, you know, and I was just like a, you know, an administrative assistant or whatever. But um, I knew that corporate America probably wasn't for me on the day that, that what an IBM you call is called a second line manager. So my boss's boss, my boss's boss stopped me one day and he said, Hey, Will, we're really glad to have you here. Um, and I'm, I'm in my like blue suit and, you know, blue suit, white shirt, black shoes. Uh, he was like, Will, we're really glad to have you here. Would it be okay maybe if you stopped running in the halls? And, uh, and, and I'm pretty sure that's the only time this guy ever had to ask an IBM employee not to run in the halls. And, um, and the, the reason I did it, it was the first time I had ever worn like leather soled shoes on a regular basis. And it was a fancy building with really cool carpet. And I, and I found that, um, I found that if you, if you start running very carefully, otherwise you'd slip, you'd lose traction. If you, but if you, if you get yourself up to speed, um, you could sort of like slide to a stop in front of somebody's door. And so, so I would do that. I thought that was just hilarious. I would like, Hey, Greg, how's it going, man? Time for our meeting. And Greg would turn around and be like, you know, I mean, you know, he would, he would make the, what the hell face. Um, so again, I value fun and whimsy and, and humor, uh, above a lot of things. And, uh, and I, and I don't value seriousness. I, I, I love to do serious things, but I like to. I think they can be better done with a sense of play. And so, yeah. So IBM was a short adventure for me, and I've and I'm only I'm only allowed in corporate environments like temporarily anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I'm left with nothing else but to run my own business. But like entrepreneurship, it's it's a last choice, right? I do it because I'm not suited for anything else. And I think it's good that you admit that. And that's it made me laugh again, even though you're saying that, because I do work in it. I have a nine to five and I do work in that environment where it is blue suit, white shirt, leather shoes. And I can I just pitch, I can't picture myself running around the corridors and the halls and just sliding past me. All right, so, so that's then that is my challenge to you. And I would like video of that. I want to I want to see you go. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> You could like set up the camera inside the office and then you could just slide to a stop in front of the door. I'm going to have to kindly decline because I know I've got people. 
people at work and people at my work do listen to this and it's quite funny because they're going to hear this. They're going to be like, don't, don't. <clears throat> okay. But, well, I, I hope your coworkers encourage you to do this, uh, this silly thing. So we'll see. We'll see. But back to the serious note then, web.com. <laughs> so you, you've realized it wasn't, uh, the corporate America wasn't for you and thought web.com. So you started this in the very early days of, the internet, I mean, 1999, as you say, people, it wasn't a huge thing. It was still very much new around that time. Computers were very old. Like the, the advancement in technology wasn't there. So how did you come up with the idea of actually having a web hosting and domain main platform? Where did that come from? Well, it was sort of... Um, so. So yeah, so bef- so before web.com even, I started a company that was in a, that was a technical training company, and so we, you know, I went and got Microsoft certified and Cisco certified, and I learned a bunch of technical things, and we started employing instructors because the whole world needed network engineers, um, and the whole world was mostly about network engineers because what networks did mostly was just move files from one place to another, move email from one place to another. So, so when I came up network engineering was the thing today you could probably argue that programming is the thing uh, artificial intelligence and, and we do some doing some fun things there today but but the web.com the web.com business started um, well it's it started to kind of answer a, a really simple it started to answer two questions first of all one of the questions that me and the guys had me and Dean mainly uh, we were we were sitting around one day and this was sort of when we were working on the company before that the technical training company networking company and we were like I wonder if I could get a computer at the other side of this room to do something without me having to walk over there and and do it myself right and what we were talking about is is provisioning a web hosting account right how do you set up um, how do you set up an Apache web server? How do you set up email? How do you set up, uh, you know, DNS zone files, all these kind of geeky, geeky things. But again, all about network engineering, not necessarily about programming. So we got curious about how do we write a piece of software, a program that will automatically provision a web hosting account? Because that would be pretty cool. And back in the day, very few people, right, single digit percentages of businesses had web hosting accounts. Um, if you say domain name to somebody today, everybody knows what a domain name is, right? It's a domain name and you don't have to go any farther than that. There's, there's a couple of things in the world. There's computer, domain name, car, ice cream. Uh, these are things that we know. These are just like well-defined, commonly accepted terms. You don't have to get really technical about it. When web.com first started, that wasn't the case. Every single customer, every single sale we had started with, okay, now, you know what real estate is, right? Well, a domain name, it's kind of like real estate. It's your little, so we would have to go through and describe what a domain name is because nobody knew what the hell it was. And so web.com was created to answer first that question is what's a domain name and why do I need one? And I don't have to tell you those things now because we all know those things, right? You are, you are what we would call a digital native. I am a digital immigrant. Um, and so we... So we would describe what a domain name is and teach the customer that. And so educate, educate the customer about what this was, why they needed it. And then the next question we came to answer was, was I think still is always an important question is, okay, now I know some new information. Now what? And the now what in the domain name space back then was, I need a website. 
I need to build a website so that I can use this digital real estate that I just purchased because web.com just explained to me that that's an important thing. I need to build a house on my digital real estate. Web hosting is the house. And so we figured out how to do, how to sell web hosting automatic, automatically, how to provision it automatically, um, and, and automatically it looked a lot more automatic than it, than it was uh, back in the day. We would like, you know, a little button would pop up. We got one. And then we'd be like, tick, tick, tick. Yeah. So, Mantronic. Um, so, so we learned how to do that. And that was the, that was the main purpose of web.com. Uh, we learned early on that we just get, it was kind of a frictionless brand. So we would just get three or 400,000 unique visits a month because people would open up a browser and type in web and they'd end up with us. And so we got incredibly lucky, man. I mean, you cannot discount the value of luck in a successful business. Um, You know, it's either luck of geography, luck of uh, where you went to school, luck of who you know, luck of what digital real estate you happen to own. And these things are crucial, um, really and truly. Uh, so that was that was a thing. I I tell people the first the first web hosting account we ever provisioned at web.com it took us 4 hours and and on my last day at web.com before you know after we sold the company before I before I left uh, the last web hosting account I ever provisioned at web.com took 4 seconds. So we got a whole lot better at it over that over that period of time. But it was all about where do you want to where do you want your digital real estate to be? And what do you want to put there? And that was that. Those were the two questions that we wanted to that we tried to answer for our customers at web.com. For sure, and I imagine that domain name of web.com is worth an absolute fortune nowadays. Yeah, it's probably okay. I mean, it was it was worth a fair bit when I sold it. Um, and uh, and and I like to think, like any real estate, it's it's appreciated um, in value. The 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 web.com you see today is significantly different than the one that we started what what happens with that brand right and, and again the the real estate metaphor just like works like crazy you you go look at prime real estate anywhere and what'll happen is the buildings will change but the real estate will stay in the same place and so some company would come along and buy the whole web.com company every once in a while and then they would just scrape off everything that was there and build their own business right on top of it so um so when we got acquired, the company that acquired us changed their name to web.com. And then when they got acquired, the company that acquired them changed their name to web.com because it's, uh, because, you know, it's, it's awesome real estate. But, um, but the idea that web.com is a domain name in web hosting space, uh, that started in my basement in Connecticut back in the 1900s. Um, and there's, and one of the things I'll say to people at talks and stuff is like, okay, so if you've ever seen an ultimate alternate domain name suggestion, if you've ever had a private domain name registration suggested to you, if you've ever had your credit card billed on a regular basis uh, uh, automatically, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome, and I'm sorry. Uh, because, because we were the guys who built those technologies. And so my fingerprints um, and the fingerprints of the, of the people that I worked with, you know, particularly Vivek Chawla, Kathy Trahi, the, the, my CTO and COO, respectively. Our fingerprints are on just about every domain name transaction that happens on earth because we've built technologies that, uh, that, are, that are still in use today. They're just like fundamental to the industry, which is really, really cool to uh, think about yeah. and, and, and not at all impressive to my kids. So, there you go. Well, 
I, maybe they'll appreciate it one day when the internet is huge and you can be like, yeah, that, I pretty much started this. You <laughs> yep. This maybe they'll appreciate it one day when I, when I pay for their education. So that's... Uh... Yeah, all that, all that. <laughs> I know at the start of the episode, you mentioned that you were actually profitable after just three months of operation. But you and I both know that with entrepreneurship, that is not always the case and as you say a lot of luck is involved and yeah. hard um most people as, as i said before the episode the point of this podcast is the fact that things like social media these days is glamorizing entrepreneurship all we see are the successes we don't get to see the hard 16 hour work days the sacrifice of relationships etc etc there's countless of downsides to it also yeah but Three months of not being profitable and then being profitable, that's no time at all. So again, as you say, extremely lucky there. But if you can talk about a little bit of failure then, because I know obviously it does seem that you've got very lucky, very lucky very quickly and been able to build a profitable business. What have been the most difficult things for you being an entrepreneur? How can we build on this sort of knowledge I'm getting out of all my guests and how entrepreneurship isn't this world that is one minute you start, three weeks later, you're going to be rolling in the cash. What are some of the hardest things you've had to go through as an entrepreneur? Well, I, th- I think, again, I didn't, I didn't, you know, going all the way back to, going all the way back to sort of like day one of my, my career as a money-earning adult, um, I didn't start working at IBM with the goal of being kicked out of the building because I was unable to behave myself in the building, right? That was, you know, now it's hilarious, but back then, you know, I kind of got asked to leave because I wasn't the kind of person who belonged there. And I went and interviewed there and got a job there because I wanted to belong there. I wanted to be part of that organization. So, so again, I think I think what you see in a lot of entrepreneurs or what you don't, you know, what we try to what we try to mask in a lot of ways is that being an entrepreneur, starting my own business, a lot of times. It's my last choice, right? I would, there's like, even today, man, there's like nothing I would love more than be able to like hop in my Tesla, drive to Tesla and work at Tesla. I would love that, but I'm, you know, but I'm not suited to it. And I, and I, in a lot of ways, I wish I was that guy. So um, most of the time, it's, it's our insecurities and our failures and our, our quirkiness, weirdness, our outsider-ness that, that turns us into entrepreneurs. And, and like you say, not enough of us uh, talk about the fact that, that'll, that like a lot of my house is built on like the rocks of, of pain and rejection and discomfort and insecurity and awkwardness, right? That's I got a lot to fucking prove, right? so, you know, because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to hang with the cool kids at IBM, right? It's like, okay, so the hell with you guys. I'll fix your wagon. I'll show you, um, right? What's, uh, what's, what's Iggy Azalea say? You got to, you got to hate to not have it more than you want to obtain it. Um, so, so those are some of the things that really and truly drive me. So we, so we wrestle and we struggle. Um, Everybody wants to hear about the successes. Everybody wants to hear about the home runs. Everybody wants to hear about the slam dunk, right? I've started, uh, including Gold Boss, I've built four successful, profitable companies. 
I've built 40 companies though. <laughs> so, right. So, you know, and I, I won't, I won't list them all, but I kind of thought they were all good ideas and some of them were really stupid ideas and, and, uh, but, but who knew, but there's like, there's a whole lot of failure, a whole lot of failure uh, that, that happens in the background. And the problem of it is that it's not particularly interesting, right? When a company, when a company fails, it's not spectacular, right? It's not, right? That would make good television, right? If a company, when, it, when a company failed, if it like burst into flames and buildings fell down and shit, then we'd talk about that a lot, but it doesn't. When a company fails, it's quiet and it's depressing and it's sad and it's agonizing and it's embarrassing and it's, and, and it's not just embarrassing to me, the person who failed, it's embarrassing to all of us, right? None of us want to see that. They're like, oh God. So we turn away um, and that's, and that was, you know, again, that was back in the day. And I think it's, I think that problem and, and you're better qualified to talk about this part of it really is, is like, how much worse is that problem now that it's so, or relatively easy to get sort of like, you know, YouTube famous or LinkedIn famous um, or one of those things? Because I know, right, I have had millions and millions and millions and millions of views of my videos, I've been, you know, Netflix came to my house and filmed a TV show about me, right? You know, Wired did a thing, 9 million views or whatever the, you know, there's, there's like all of this, right? So, so I kind of know what that level of popularity looks like and feels like, and I know it from the inside. And my, my deep concern is that, is that we're, we've raised a generation of business people who feel like popularity and productivity are the same thing. Um, and they're just not. As a matter of fact, the more popular somebody is, probably the less they're getting done at work. I've got a question then, because obviously people want to be Instagram famous, YouTube famous these days because it's considered cool. But mm-hmm. with Netflix coming to your house, wired, all of these publications on yourself did it make you feel any better about yourself thinking oh loads of people are going to know about me oh absolutely no it's it's like awesome and it's fun and I, and I like that in particular the kind of things that I've been uh the kind of things that I've been noticed for are are really I think my you know my best qualities right my my kooky little my kooky little personal YouTube channel like you know the tagline is thanks for helping me bring physics family and fun to kids everywhere um and it's, you know, and, and that's what it is. You know, we do like kooky backyard science things. And, and, um, and oddly enough, all the biggest, uh, all the biggest uh, consulting gigs, training gigs, speaking gigs, all of the things, you know, all of my, my professional success today comes from the silly that happens, you know, in the backyard. But, but the reason that I can do the things that I do isn't because... I'm clever in front of a camera. The reason I can do the things I do is because I work my fucking ass off a lot. <laughs> and I, and, yeah. and when I'm earning money, I'm like, I'm not doing that on camera, right? The, the being sure. on camera and anybody, I, I just promise you everybody from, from Gary Vaynerchuk down to the bottom of the, whatever the social media heap is from him on down, everybody knows that the only way you're going to earn a living 
being, you know, social media famous is if you get into the business of teaching other people how to be social media famous, right? Look at everybody who's an influencer online and their core business is, I will teach you how to be an influencer online, which tells me two things. Um, there, you know, there's not room for everybody to be famous. That's not how fame works. Um, and, the, and the people who are influencers online, that's all they know how to do. <laughs> so, right. And, and, you know, and, uh, right. It takes a long time to get good at a lot of things. It takes a long time to learn how to run a business really well. It just, it just takes experience, right? What is it? What is it? Uh, you know, bad decisions make good stories, right? You got to make a lot of bad decisions. You have to fail a lot before you can share your experience with somebody to help them avoid some of the more obvious failures. And so that, so that's been, I'm, I'm like, if if there was a way to kind of do a social media campaign about dude just like go do your freaking job right stop worrying about being famous it's not real um you know and actually that's i just remember when okay when you first saw me like when you were 15 when you first saw one of my videos and you maybe saw Lyle my kid and he was 10 at the time or something like that um we went viral for a, for a video that we did and some TV production company came along, uh, like Discovery Channel or somebody came along and said, Lyle, you are awesome. We love you. We want to make a TV show. And so my son, my 11-year-old son, was like flown to Hollywood and we had the cool meetings and all that stuff and they wanted to put Lyle on TV. And I was just over the moon. I thought that was like so cool um, and I'm very excited and he was polite and asked a lot of questions. And then on the, on the way home, I was like, so what do you think, man? You wanna, you, are you interested in that? And he goes, no. And, you know, and I'm like, what the hell? That's what everybody wants. What do you mean? No. He's like, dad, fame, fame isn't real. And, uh, and I was like, oh my God, here's a, here's a child who like knows who he is. Um, and then I was talking to my friend Vive a couple days later and I told him that story and Vive says, uh, he's like, well, that's because he doesn't know about money or sex. That's, that's the only reason anybody would say that. Um, and, um, and then, but you know, he's a senior in high school now. He knows about money and he certainly knows about, right? He knows about these things now and he still has no interest in being popular. It's just not, it doesn't motivate him. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, a, that's like a thing. I, I worry that we're all clamoring for Instagram views and I know that financially there's just like no fucking future in that. I know that doesn't pay except for a teeny, teeny, teeny percentage of us. Hmm. For sure. And it's only those sort of people that do manage to either like, for example, catch a trend or they just feel like that you've got your Jake Pauls and your Logan Pauls and people like that that have just, they've hit, hit a niche and that's just taken off. Like my, one of my favorites is Casey Neistat back in the day. He was like the pioneer of the daily vlog. And he, but he's, as you say, you've always stayed true to yourself. You've never tried to be anyone different. That's similar to what Casey did. He never, ever changed who he was from day one of his vlog and he did it for three years and then now he's one of the best i mike in my opinion one of the best youtubers out there but before we go too off topic because i do want to dive into your youtube thing in a second but i've sure. got one more question one more properly business related question and i know that <laughs> okay fine <laughs> as you said before we work before we play but at the beginning, I remember you said you took three things away um, from your from your uh, web.com, and that was communications, delegation, and time management. 
how do you do that? What are your key tips for the listeners to be able to stay truly focused on what they are doing? Like, how do they not go off track left, right, here and there? How do they just stay truly focused on achieving what they want to achieve? Awesome, awesome, great question. And I, th- I think the, the short answer to that is um, uh, with the help of everyone around you and a little bit at a time. That's how, that's how any wonderful thing occurs, right? There's no, there's, no, there's no such thing as a slam dunk, right? You look at a LeBron James slam dunk, uh, you know, it takes tenths of a second for LeBron to go, right? And that's, uh, that's oh, that's a basketball, that's called basketball. It's a game we play in America, you know, so net, I don't know oh, what whatever. you call it. I played basketball. Okay, something I like played. that. LeBron. Okay, Maybe. I'm... I'm playing. I go to Australia a lot, and I tr- I use like I use like American sports metaphors, and they're like. <laughs> so, um, but but the slam dunk it doesn't take tenths of a second, right? The slam dunk takes fifteen years. It's just that we're only interested in the last two tenths of a second of that ten or fifteen years, right? LeBron wanted to be. LeBron had a goal of being the best basketball player in the world. And, you know, but he was like kind of crappy at the three point shot, which is like a shot that happens from 23, 24 feet away. I don't remember exactly what the, what that three point line, what the distance is, but he was not good at it. And so what LeBron did was every day he would make 300 of those shots. He would practice making that shot 300 times every day, not a camera in the room. And that's why we care about LeBron today. Oh, and and by the way, he did not give a hoot about you know, social media while he was having that adventure. He was focused on the thing, right? I mean, you know, and so, so that's, so communication delegation and time management, it's success in anything is a process. Um, the entire goal boss leadership system, and, and, and I, I should probably like plug my book, right? I wrote a book that takes you through this whole thing. Communication delegation and time management, those three things are, what I call the big three career killers or the big three business killers. When, if you show me any failure um, of any magnitude, just like a little, a little awkward misstep or a, or a horrible failure, I promise you that at least one of communication, delegation, and time management, at least one of those three career killers is going to be a core reason for why that failure occurred. When you reach your limit in the area of communication, delegation, and time management. When you reach the limit of your capability in any of those three areas, that's where your business is going to stop. That's where your business is going to stall. That's where your career is going to go backwards or just straight up fail, right? Because we need to be better and better at communicating all day, every day. We need to not have to cover the same ground twice. We need to learn, uh, we need to learn shorthand for our business the same way, um, and I, I teach my clients this. So, so, um, if you walk in, so like, do you understand, like, what's a sport that you understand? Do you understand cricket? I don't understand cricket at all. Cricket, basketball, I play over here. We, we, the only sport we don't actually play is American football. We play what we call proper football. Okay. So like, okay, dig it. So, so the way I pitch it is like the, um, if you walk, if there's a sports, if there's any sport, on television, right? We'll, we'll call it, we'll say baseball, right? American baseball. If you, if you walk into a room and there's a bunch of people in the room watching baseball and I walk in well into the game, almost towards the end of the game, 
I can walk into that room and I can say, hey, how's it going? How's the, how's the game going? And somebody, anybody in the room who knows anything about baseball, they can say, okay, um, you know, Yankees are up four to six, bottom of the ninth, so-and-so's on base, two out, two strikes, one ball. In five seconds or 10 seconds, somebody can tell me the entire story of a two and a half hour sporting event. And it's because we're really, really focused on how to communicate the really important things about baseball. People, people love sports for a lot of reasons. The main reasons people love sports is we all know exactly how to win and we all know exactly how to communicate success or failure. There's no uncertainty in sports. It's like that team is winning, that team is losing, they made this mistake. I mean, it's, that's, that's why we love it. And, and by the way, that's why we quit our jobs is because we don't know how to freaking win. Because we don't know if our boss likes us or not today or, you know, it's like all of that crazy uncertainty. So what, so what we do at Goal Boss is we bring certainty of communication. I can walk into any client that I have if I haven't seen them for a month and I go and I see my clients once a month, I can walk into my client and say, hey, how's the business going? And they can run it down for me, the entire health of the business, in 10 seconds. That's just like how it goes. And, um, and that's, that's wonderful if you think about it. If you can communicate the whole story of your business in 10 seconds, what's that going to give you uh, compared to an average company if you walk and say, hey, how's the business going today? All right, that's a two-hour conversation if you want to get to the guts of it right? So my clients have an extra two hours every day, straight up. Um, and, and they know what the goals are. They know what the big five goals are for this year. They know what they need to get done this year. Everybody knows these things. So there is certainty in a company that runs based on kind of the principles of goal boss that, we, that I've been building for the last, you know, thousand years or whatever. Uh, I'm incredibly old. Okay, so that's communication. Delegation, you've got to be able to get things done without doing things yourself. And so whenever a task comes to me, my first question is, is there anybody else on the planet Earth who can do this thing who's not me? And that's the first test I apply to every single task. If I could have sent somebody to have this talk with you, Ethan, I would have. Just not because you're not awesome, because you are clearly awesome, but I'm the only one who can be Will Pemble on a podcast interview, right? I'm the only one who can do it. But there's a whole bunch of other things being done right at this very minute that I'm getting done, but there's other people in my organization, other people in the world who can do those things who's not me. Um, so get things done without doing things yourself. Only do what only you can do. And that is delegation. And when you fail at something, when your business fails, when you have a problem in your career, I promise you delegation is going to figure into it because you stopped being able to get done as many things as you need to get done at your level. So, you know, another great example, like how do I manage to spend so much time goofing around, um, you know, in my backyard and, and doing like kooky fun things, right? It's always been really important to me to spend a lot of time with my family, but I also know that you can buy cool stuff with money. So I didn't want to have to choose one thing or the other. And so I just learned to get stuff done a whole lot better. Um, and, and so that's delegation. You have to get things done without doing things yourself. You should only do what only you can do. And every single task needs to be put to that test. That needs to be muscle memory. Um, and then the last one is time management, which is, which is a little bit fuzzy. Um, but, and I don't 
and I don't teach my clients like, well, there's the urgent quadrant, the non-urgent, the important, you know, and I don't do any of the, you know, like the time management methodologies because those things, uh, honestly, they take a lot of time. Um, but what I, but what I do teach and what I do for myself is I'm incredibly cognizant of how many hours there are in a day. And, and I know that, that none of us get any more than that. And I also know that at any minute I could run out of time and so could you and so could everybody. And so we treat time as the, as the super precious commodity that it is. And it's not just my time that's incredibly valuable. It's yours. If I, if I'm late for a meeting, you can assume I'm fucking dead, right? Because I'm not going to waste anybody else's time because I know you don't have any more of that either. So, so, and if you think about that at the team level, if you think about an organization where everybody in the organization values their time and your time as if one day we might all die, all of a sudden, much more happens because, because that's the most respectful, the most kind you can be to somebody is to like not steal their time because you are literally stealing heartbeats from that person. <coughs> So, so communication, delegation, time management, those are the big three. And, and like I said, they, they, and they, the really good news, the best news of all um, about, the, about the big three career killers is that they're not talents. They're not something that you're born with or something that you're gifted with. Um, they're skills. They're things that you can build and grow and get better at no matter who you are, no matter how smart or stupid you are, no matter how motivated or unmotivated you are. You can get better at these things and you can learn new and better techniques. I'm always working to improve in those areas. For sure. And I love your point about delegation as well, because delegation is one of those things, especially with small business owners that they actually struggle with because they don't want to let go. They, they're at that point where they obviously know they need to hire someone, but they're too scared to let go of those processes because they're always going to think, I could do it better. I could do it better when really there actually is someone out there that can do it better. And if you get them to do it, it's going to save you a hell of a lot of time. And yep. at the end of the day, I love how some, I've spoken to some people who say an employee doesn't cost you anything because at the end of the day, because when you factor in all the other things that they're going to be making you more money, they're going to be able to, you could, when you, they're doing something, you could do something else. At the end of the day, yes, you're paying them a salary, but you are able to make so much more money just by hiring someone. So they effectively aren't actually costing you anything. So delegation is obviously huge. And I love that you've brought that up as one of your main points, because I think it's definitely something that these small business owners definitely need to consider more and yeah. actually be willing to let go of certain processes, despite them thinking they can do it better. Yeah. Now, and, and you know what, if you're, the, if you're the owner of the business, if you're the creator of the thing, you can do it better. You just, you just are, right? And, and so, like, I, I think about it, um, I'll th you know, like, I'll talk about Lyle a little bit. You know, my, my, my crazy teenage kid, he loves to cook. I don't know why, but he really does. And he's always loved to cook. And so, um, he's like a burger genius these days. And when Lyle cooks, holy moly, does he make a freaking mess. And, and you don't know if he's going to like set something on fire. And so standing back and watching somebody that you care about do something, it's painful. It's like you, you want to help or you want to save them or you want to protect. Um, when you delegate a task to somebody, they're not going to do it as well 
as you could because you have a crystal clear idea of what you want it to be. You've probably done it before. You're probably good at it and enjoy it. So letting go of it is that much harder. So when I delegate something to somebody else, I should know that it's probably going to get done at about 80% of the level of quality that I would do if I did it myself. But if I can delegate five things, you know, that, and so you have to, the, the trick of leadership is being able to live with a little breakage now and then, just in the same way that, you know, I promise you have tortured the hell out of your parents if you've, as you've learned to do different things in life, right? You've like broken it, knocked it down, messed it up, set it on fire, doused it, you know, all of those things. And, and parents who love you, they'll sit back and they'll let you foul it up because they love you and they want you to grow. And if, and if they didn't do that, you'd be a freaking invalid. So as a leader, as the boss, it's your job to allow your people the opportunity to learn and get better at stuff. And if you go in and say, oh, Jesus, just let me, just let me do that. Oh, my God, right? You do that passive-aggressive bullshit that you would never do to your kids. Um, that's how you guarantee your business will not grow. That's how you guarantee failure. Is by is by like nitpicking and <clears throat> micromanaging. Uh, in my book, I, there's actually there's actually uh, I, I wrote like the steps to delegation, right? And if you and if you do the steps in order, the same way every time, four out of five times, the thing you delegated is going to get done exactly the way you want. And so again, it's a skill. It's not like magic. You don't have to be like, oh, he's so charismatic. That's you know, charisma. You got that, or you don't. Delegation, anybody, right? Anybody can learn that. It's so crucial. Yeah, no excuse. And I guess now's the time we can delve into uh, more of the fun stuff. Get away from the business. So <laughs> I guess well, well, I definitely came across you, as you said, five years ago when I came across your YouTube video because you built a roller coaster in your back garden. If I told my mum at my at a young age that I wanted to build a roller coaster in our garden, she would have gone batshit crazy. She would have been like, what the hell? No way. Why do you want it? One, why do you want to do that? Two, my garden is nice. It's got flowers in it. Like, Who the hell would want to put a roller coaster in their garden? Why, where did this idea, one, where did this idea come from? Two, why, why did you do it? And three, obviously worked extremely well you went viral and that's obviously where you got this what we i know we mentioned earlier fame isn't really you'd say it's not really real being famous and this that and the other but it's what got you your what people perceive as fame this what people now know you for coaster dad so you call yourself dad um, how did it start how what's the idea <clears throat> so it started in and then and again there's 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 important business lessons in in everything um this, this happened again. This happened like when you say this happened about five years ago. We, we had just finished up a family vacation. My son, uh, my son Lyle and my daughter Ellie and I, we had, we had made a, a lap around the United States and we'd gone to a bunch of amusement parks because Lyle was interested in roller coasters. Um, and, um, and so we came back and it was a couple of weeks, maybe a week or so before school started and Lyle and I were sitting around in the backyard and and Lyle just said, he was like, man, I'm so sorry school's going to be starting. It was so much of, it was such a great vacation. And he loves, you know, Lyle, Lyle is like, he's, he's 
transition is hard for him, right? It's like he's he's happy when he's doing something, but like switching from one thing to the next, it was it was it's a struggle for him. It's like you know, it's fun to be in the shower and it's fun to be out of the shower, but getting out of the shower is sometimes not awesome. And so he's that transition has always been tough for him. And so Lyle just said we were we were just kind of talking through that transition conversation. He was like, you know, what would be great is if we had a, a roller coaster in our backyard. Um, and again, it was the it was the it was the kind of conversation where, you know, your mom or any mom would just say, yeah, that would be kind of nice, but, you know, that would be cool, wouldn't it? And just kind of like let it go by and blow it off. But for some reason, and I don't, I don't know why, except that, you know, I have a, uh, an odd sense of things perhaps, but I, I just stopped. He just stopped me dead in my tracks. He was like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a roller coaster in the backyard? And I like, I looked up at this, you know, we had a really small backyard at the time. And I looked up at the yard and I looked back at the kid and I thought to myself and, and a couple of things went through my head. The first thing that went through my head was, um, was when Lyle is 30, right? He's 10 now when he's 30 and he's at his first job or working for his company or whatever. And he's hanging around with other, other adults. Um, I would love for him to be the guy whose dad built him a roller coaster. I would love for him to be the guy, uh, you know, I'd love for him to have that story at very least. And I'd love for him to have that connection and that certainty that, that, that happens. And, it, and, and that thought went through my head really fast. I was like, man, I would love to give him this story because he'll, he'll keep this forever. Um, and then, and then the other thing that I thought millisecond after that is if I make a video of this, I can show my brother that I'm a much better father than him. And that was, uh, that was, that was my motivation. Uh, for <laughs> those, those were the reasons that we started to build the roller coasters. Like I thought it was a great, it would be a really fun thing to do for me. Great gift for Lyle. And, um, and there was like, there was just like, I would win parenthood against, against my brother and he and I are very competitive um, in, in a kind way, but, but it was like hilarious. So that's so that's what happened. We we started building the roller coaster. I started making videos to show Grandma Lois, my mom, uh, to show Grandma Lois and my brother what was the progress with that. And then and then it was actually Hackaday uh, who found uh, who found the uh, who found one of the videos, and then like Guy Kawasaki, you know, shared it, and then and then right, and then the whole. Good Morning America came to the house and that, you know, like Australian television rolled satellite trucks out to like interview me standing in front of my roller coasters, you know, tens of millions of dollars have been spent publishing my, uh, uh, my ridiculous roller coaster adventures. Um, Netflix made a show about us, uh, which you can, you can like, if you, if you go to Netflix and you search for amazing interiors, you can see the whole story of the fifth coaster that I built, uh, wired did a thing. So, so that was, but it all started because, you know, a kid had a silly idea. Um, and, and so that was, that was the, the genesis of the thing. It's, it's honestly hilarious. Cause as you say, it's just such a crazy idea and anything. So, you don't have to mention this, but are the earnings from it going to your kid because he came up with the idea? Oh, hell no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, 
Um, a little bit of it. So, so but the, you know, you, you raise an interesting, you raise an interesting business point, right? There's like an, a, a great many intellectual property conversations have started this way. Hey, wait, that was my idea, right? Um, so Lyle, Lyle probably does okay, right? Um, we've had, there have been a couple of production companies who've come. So like when Netflix came, um, you know, Netflix said, hey, we'd love to do a thing, blah, blah, blah. We're, you know, and, um, and I was like, okay, well, I get, you know, my wife gives me a certain steel allowance, right? I can spend so much money a month on steel. Um, and, if I, and if I exceed my steel allowance, Liz gets nervous, right? She worries that I'm like spending too much money, taking too much time and all that. And so I have like a, uh, my steel allowance is not allowed to exceed my, my YouTube revenue, right? That's fair, right? The YouTube channel generates a little bit of money. I can spend that money on steel and parts and stuff. And that's how I, that's how I fund my kooky project. And it's a, and it's a, uh, it's a really good limiter for me, right? Because if I could just write a check for as much steel as I wanted, I would just disappear into the backyard and, and my, my, a lot of things would suffer. Um, so, so Netflix offered to fund a little bit of the project and we thought that was like really cool. And so I gave some of that money to Lyle and a couple of, you know, and so Lyle does okay. He's, he gets a, a little bit now and then sometimes I've actually just paid him to show up on camera because he doesn't like to do it. <laughs> so I've bribed him. It's like, dude, just sit here and be my kid for a minute. Um, but uh, he says he might really love it. And the fact that you then, he found out if he acts as if he doesn't like it, that his dad will pay him. <laughs> Try and call him out on that one. He's yeah. a clever kid. He's, he's just like so much smarter than me. I, I, um, I, I honestly don't know. But like, you know, long story short, in the major scheme of things, Lyle does just fine, right? He, uh, my, my, kids, my kids do okay. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be able to sort of like over-provide for them. So... I love I love that as well because it's it's going to relate in nicely to one of the uh, final three questions that I ask all my guests um, with regards to relationships. So it's so a lovely. I I I think it's great because I've got a great relationship with my father, and it's just something as a kid that you would love to. He's going to be able to tell that story to generations, friends, and just take that into the future and be like, oh, when I was ten years old, me and my dad built a roller coaster on my back. That's like something you hear in a film. It's not something that actually happens. So the fact that he's going to be able to take that story with him for life is, it's an, it's just a lovely thing to hear. But yeah. Will, it is time for my final three questions. You've obviously dropped some incredible business value, and it has been an extremely fun conversation. But I do ask three questions on three topics that I don't think are discussed enough, which are money, relationships, and death. I know death sounds a bit of a morbid way to end the episode, but the question is. I find it really interesting and I get different answers from everyone and I can't wait to hear yours. But the first question in relation to money, I personally don't think it relates to money, but many do. So I could see your take on it. So what does the word success mean to you? Um, well, the, the word success means to me that I, I don't feel like um, beyond the ability to keep score and kind of meet, meet like basic needs. I don't think money is really going to be the best measure of success, right? I know a bunch of like truly miserable people uh, who have all the money they need, all the money they want. They can buy any of the things that they want to buy. Um, you know, what was it? Uh, 
right? Dave Chappelle did a did in his in his latest thing. Dave Chappelle he was talking about Anthony Bourdain, right? This guy's job was to travel all over the world, meet fascinating people, eat the best food available on earth, all first class, and he killed himself, right? So money doesn't, you know. Money almost never scratches the itch. I, I think of money as either a side effect or an obstacle, right? If I want something and I don't have enough money for it, that's an obstacle. If I do something useful to other people, I'll get money for it and that's a side effect. But those, that's, money isn't real and it doesn't mean the same thing to you as it means to me. Again, we can't communicate really and truly when it comes to money because if I give you some money, it'll, it'll either be too much or not enough or you'll resent me for it or you'll be grateful. I have no freaking idea how someone else is going to react to what their idea is of money and when I start communicating to them in a language that, I don't, that we don't agree on. So money is bullshit, right? It's a, it's a basic needs thing, right? Food, shelter, clothing, and then the quality of those things. Um, for, for, me, um, for me, success is being able to manage my time the way I want to manage my time. Success is, uh, su- I measure my success in 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 how much the people who love me can depend on me that's that's how i measure my success um i know that my kids know that if they need me i'm there i know that my friends know that if they need me i'm there i know right and so so liz and i we just celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary um and I, and I attribute that particular success to her because, you know, she's just like really good at, really good at things. Um, but success is all about relationships. Success is about the people you love and the people who you love you. Um, and, and, and that's, and, and your ability to contribute. So, you know, can I build a successful business? Yeah, but you know what? I know a bunch of real assholes who can build successful businesses too. And as a matter of fact, that's sometimes an advantage. <laughs> And generating money, right? Um, so yeah, so so for me, success is success is measured in the eyes of the people who are who are looking at you. Uh, for sure, and I think that's a great way of putting it. And it also flows extremely well into my next question question with regards to relationships, because I think you've you've definitely obviously found a good take on this question. So it's throughout your journey so far, have you found it difficult to maintain relationships, whether that be with loved ones, friends, family, your significant other, your wife, or have you found ways to bring those people along on your journey with you? And from what I've heard, you've pretty much nailed it on the head of being able to maintain your relationship. So let's spin it a little bit and say, what is your way? How have you managed to maintain these relationships? What are your tips for the listeners to make sure they don't lose ties people they're closest with well <clears throat> well it's real easy so so you look at elon right elon is a great example of just like absolutely stellar success right and the man is changing the world he's made my life better he's made your life better he's he's like you know uh you know what how jobs would put it he's like pushing the human race forward um that is without a doubt you know his kids are paying the price for that because they never see him straight up and and okay fine you know he's he's willing to pay that price and his kids are you know just like along for the ride and so so again the world needs an elon right 
he needs somebody who's going to sacrifice all of the family stuff to, you know, be the CEO of four companies all at once, blah, 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 all of those things. Um, I guess, I guess what I think about there is in terms of my relationships, there's from the time I met Liz, like somebody was asking me that the other day, how'd you meet Liz? But from the time I met Liz, from the moment I met her, I was like in love with her and she became the most important person in the world. And that remains the case, you know, 29 or so years later, um, my kids are the most important people in the world. And I've never once made a business decision that would take me farther away from any of those. And so, so from the day the kids were born, we had a rule. It's like, if, you know, for business trips, if the trip is 48 hours or less, it's a business trip. If the trip is 48, is, if the trip is 48 hours, one minute or more, it's a family trip. And so I've gone on trips and we just like bring everybody with. Now, again, I'm really lucky and I'm really blessed and I've had some success and I got a few dollars and so I can, I can make those kinds of choices. I can do those kinds of things. But, um, but it's n- nobody dies wishing they'd spent more time on airplanes, right? Nobody goes to their deathbed thinking, oh man, if only I'd, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it's like the, time's the only thing you can't get more of. Time with the people you love and who love you is the best spent time. And, and that really and truly is how relationships work. It's not about, you know, it's only about just, I, I joke around about uh, like having a daughter, right? I've, I've like raised a daughter now and she's off in college and, and, um, and I've really joked about that. The, the, the key to raising a daughter, because I, because I really do believe that like raising a daughter is like raising a raccoon, right? They're so like sweet and cuddly when they're little. And then when they grow, that's like, what the hell, right? It's just, it's amazing. And if, and, and I'll, I'll take a hit for being sexist if, if that's what's required here. But like adolescent girls are horrifying to me. And it's just like, but, but I'm a dad and I'm committed to this relationship. And so there's like, all I have to do is two things. Don't speak. Resist the urge to flee, right? Just stay in the room and don't speak. And those two things are very hard when you have a teenage daughter and any father of a teenage daughter will bear me out on this. But that's, that's the key to a relationship. A lot of times it's just those two things. Listen, stay. And if you listen and stay, it, it's only a matter of time until you're reminded of the things that got you in that relationship in the first place. We make, we make so many decisions. I, I read, uh, I read a book called Factfulness the other day, and one of the lines in this book, Factfulness, um, he says, we are descended from people who make snap decisions. We are all the descendants of people who make snap decisions. Tiger, run, climb up the tree, get away from the tiger. That's a snap decision, and it saves your life. The person who said, huh, tiger, he's got four legs, and then you're eaten, you're dead right? So the thoughtful guy is dead. The guy who makes the snap decision and climbs up the tree is alive, but he probably makes snap decisions about everything, right? So you have to stop and be thoughtful when your life's not in danger. And that's a real, real hard thing to do because we want to make, oh, fuck it. This relationship is over. Look, we're all mad at each other. This is never going to work again. I'm going to climb the tree. No, stay. Listen. 
So that, so that I think is if I had to, if I had to boil something as complicated as a relationship down to a soundbite, I would say the key to, uh, or not the key to, but your best chance of being successful in a relationship is to not talk and not leave the room. I think and I, this hilarious that point about you made about your daughter because I, my dad is going to laugh at that because he listens to all my podcasts and I have a sixteen-year-old sister, so yeah. he's experiencing all of that at the moment. So he's going to horrifying to relate. <laughs> <It's hilarious. laughs> yep, well, um, give him a hug for me. <laughs> I will. He's, don't worry. He's not alone, but that won't help. <laughs> You need to, but my, my final question of the episode for you in relation to death is, are you afraid of dying? I think, I think I'm probably, I'm like, if I puzzle about it, I, I don't like the idea of dying like painfully agonizingly over time. Like I've seen some death, uh, happen right like my my little sister died of uh breast cancer and it was three years of grueling hell uh and it was it was awful and painful and uh and and wouldn't wish it on anybody so i i but i don't but i'm not like i'm not i don't think of that and get all like oh my god i'm afraid i was like i would much prefer that it didn't happen that way a guy another guy i know he was like 91 years old guy named chuck mccoy he was a, he was across a neighbor across the street from us and he and liz uh, he and liz were talking one day about you know he was like oh man i hope i don't like just like linger and all of that stuff and, the, and he and liz had this conversation about you know how he hoped he died it was like i just want to like go to sleep and not wake up man that'd be the best way to go for sure um, and that afternoon, it's exactly what he did. Right? He like, he like went and sat down on a chair in his house and just went to sleep and didn't wake up. And, and, and Liz was like, holy moly. Right. She was like really freaked out um, by that. But um, so, so like, I'm not afraid to die. I would like to just go to sleep and not wake up after a long and happy life. Many, 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 many years from now. Um, but uh and then the other thing I think about, uh, think about death is there's a, a comedian named uh, Cloris Leachman and she's like, she's, you know, really old school, hilariously funny um, woman. And, uh, and somebody was interviewing her about something one day and the, and, and the interviewer said, it's like, well, you know, life is short. She goes, oh, it's not. It's ridiculously long. <laughs> so right? so uh, I'm cool with it, right? I think, I think we all live for for exactly the right amount of time uh, and worrying about it does absolutely no good at all, right? Worrying about it serves no purpose. So, so I guess, no, I'm, you know, I would prefer not to be horribly, horribly injured and, and like be, you know, miserable and in pain before I died. But, you know, Nah, it's it's all good, right? I'm uh, I'm I'm a lot more focused. I try to be anyway. I try to be a lot more focused on the people around me and the things that I contribute uh, more than I try to be focused on sort of like my own comfort or safety or longevity. For sure. And again, as I mentioned, different answer every time I get. And again, you've nailed it. Superb answer. Completely different to anything I've ever had before. So. Thank you for that. But now it's your time. 
to plug away. Where can my listeners follow up with you with regards to any questions? Obviously, mention your book. Where can the listeners find you? Uh, well, well, you can, you can, if you want to find me, you can just Google Will Pemble if you want to find the silly, the, the roller coaster stuff. Um, I actually have written a book about all of the Gold Boss, uh, about the Gold Boss leadership, leadership system and how we do that, how we help our clients. Uh, so you can just go to goldboss.com and there's a there's a a link there where you can click and we'll send you a copy of the book. I think we I think we we're right now we're like charging you seven dollars and ninety five cents, which 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 covers the cost of us printing the book and shipping the book. We don't make any money off that, but basically we'll give you a free book if you pay for the shipping. Is kind of the kind of the pitch there. Uh, it's a pretty good book, and then and then you may want to. You may want to keep in touch because I can't I can't talk about it like right now, but in the in a very very few number of weeks, we're going to be releasing a new product, a new Gold Boss product, a new piece of Gold Boss software that I believe is going to change coaching, hundred percent. And so this is a uh, I've I've seen this work and and really and truly, man, it's the best work I've ever done. I've never been more proud of anything. Uh, than I am, you know, with the exception of my kids, which, which I really didn't have very much to do with. I've just kind of like around and drove them places. But, um, but, but in terms of business, we're about to, we're about to drop the best thing I've ever done. And so, uh, so, and I, and I, it kills me. I'm just like, it kills me not to be able to talk about it, but it's going to be awesome. So, uh, and as soon as it does drop, I will let you know. Yeah. When it's live, Let's hop back on a call. Let's get another show in and talk about it. I'd love yeah. to have you back on. This has been incredibly fun. Give you the chance Likewise, to man. tell everyone about it. Yeah, the, the super secret project. All of those links will be in the show notes below so people don't have to worry about remembering those. They're all going to be down below. But Will, this has been an incredibly fun episode to record and also insightful despite it being so enjoyable. Um, so thank you for joining me on this episode and thank you everyone for listening to this episode of CEO Journals so that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast and I can't thank you all enough for listening I aim to interview some of the most incredible business owners and entrepreneurs every single week so you can really help me out by smashing that subscribe button and by leaving me a five-star review over in the iTunes store. It literally takes two seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. Make sure you tune into the next episode where I'm going to be talking to another incredibly interesting guest. I'll be discussing their journey and providing tips to all your aspiring and current business owners. Have a lovely rest of your day. And once again, thank you for tuning in to CEO Journals.